I've been thinking a lot about how the invisible load makes us feel invisible. Thank you for pressing play on today's podcast episode. When you read the title, Hard Conversations, what is it that pops into your mind? Because we all have a version of a hard conversation that we are perhaps putting off or that we've just had or that lingers around and causes us a little bit of mild PTSD because we tried to have a really difficult conversation and things went awry. In life, in our relationships, in our workplaces, there are times when we do have to bite the bullet and sit down and have really tricky conversations with people. And communication is definitely a skill set that we can learn and we can cultivate and we can practice. It's not always something that we are born innately knowing how to do well in terms of not offending people, in terms of feeling safe enough to express what it is we need and want. So when it comes to hard conversations, are there things that we can do to make them go more smoothly? According to certified life coach and divorce coach, Sally Ann from Reflect Coaching, the answer is a big fat yes. Sally Ann joined me to have a conversation about difficult conversations. So whether you are putting off a conversation that you know you need to have with your partner or someone at work or your mother-in-law or your sister or perhaps a friend, this is an episode that is going to help you gain clarity and give you some tangible steps that you can take to make hard conversations a little easier on yourself and those around you. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Why do you think women struggle with having difficult conversations in general? Great question. Um, I think women struggle because we are taught not to speak up. We're still in 2023 conditioned, taught through family of origin, societal expectations, not to speak up. You know, you recently recorded and released an episode on the needless woman. And particularly as mothers, I think we don't centre ourselves and our own needs. So... We quickly learn just to quickly, I think through lived experience, as I said, family of origin stuff, lived experience, we just learn to push our needs down, forget what they even are, and therefore we don't speak up about them. So we just don't have those hard conversations. We don't learn the skills to have hard conversations. I also think we tie a lot of our value up in being a good nurturer or being a good giver. It's like, oh, if I can just give the most, if I can give the most out of everyone in this household, then I'm really valuable. 
but it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because it's like the more we give, the less we feel like ourselves and the more invisible we tend to feel. Absolutely. And the more we give without allowing ourselves to receive, the more resentment can build up. And, you know, feeling resentful is not a great place to open a conversation or from which to open a conversation. And I think it's so interesting because I know a lot of women who are in relationships with a male partner and the male partner is always like, go and do something for yourself. You don't have to do all of this. And then the male partner can become frustrated that the female partner is not actually doing all of those things for herself. But there's this big disconnect between, I think, men and women, you know, and of course I'm speaking in very broad terms, but there's this disconnect between men and women in the mental load and the mental gymnastics that a woman is carrying and also the societal expectations because it's not as though just having one person in your life tell you, don't worry about the dishes, don't worry about that, don't stress about it. That doesn't outweigh all of that conditioning that we have had from birth. It runs really, really, really deep, yes. Um, And in terms of mental load, I think we do carry a lot of it. Research indicates that and just conversation with women will will outline just how much mental load we do carry in in a relationship in a family um the only couples that i know who carry it equally are both female same sex yeah same sex um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought there but you know if you can with mental load in relationship you know that can be a hard conversation that you need to have um making it visible making it really clearly visible is one powerful way to reduce it. Um, but as I said, you know, that you've got to have that hard conversation in the first place to release yourself from carrying quite so much. Yes. I've been thinking a lot about how the invisible load makes us feel invisible. Oh, yes. It certainly does. Because it's so hard to quantify all of the things we are doing. You know, I recently had the experience of fracturing my foot and so I was really limited physically with what I could do. And it was during that time that I was realizing, oh my gosh, in that first 10 minutes of waking up, I'm doing a hundred things that I don't even really think about. Mm -hmm. And that is a really full on way to start my day. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's just, it's, it's across the board in uh, generally, as we said, heterosexual couples, but particularly add children into the mix. It's huge. Yeah, it's massive. If we are finding ourselves having that experience of feeling invisible in the family unit, no wonder that, you know, we're struggling to then go, okay, I now need to have a really challenging conversation. Yeah, I think it comes down to really tapping back into yourself, you know, coming back into yourself, really recognizing, okay, I'm feeling invisible or I'm feeling resentful, I'm feeling drained and depleted why, what do I need here? And even opening conversation around that with your partner, I'm not quite sure what I need, but I'm feeling this can be really useful in kind of cracking it open and leading, you know, leading to some sort of change. And if you, if you've got a partner who is saying, take some time for yourself, go, then again, you know, tapping back into what is it that I want to do? And, and having, even having a hard conversation with yourself to really challenge your thinking around, I don't know what I want to do. Well, find, you know, find some things, explore, explore some options or, you know, create a list even so that when there is that little pocket of time or you're told off you go, you know, off you go, go and do something for yourself. You've got some ideas. 
Yeah, it's a really relatable thing, I think, yeah. for so many mothers in particular to go, okay, I've got 10 minutes to myself, what do I do? And yeah. not even know what we like anymore or what you we spend the 10 minutes yes. that you've got debating, or should I do this or should I do this or should I do this? Yes. Yeah. I love I love having a, a like a, a go-to list of things. It can be as simple as, you know, sitting in the sunshine with a cup of tea. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. When it comes to having a hard conversation, what are some things that you think are really important for women to consider before having the hard conversation? Yeah, it's interesting you say before because I break it down into, you know, four components and that is the preparation, the opening, and then navigating the tension and completion. And I think the preparation phase is really, really important. So... In my work, I always start at the end. Okay, how do you want things to look and feel at the end? So when this is completed or in two, five, ten years' time. Now, we're not talking two, five, ten years' time when we're talking about a hard conversation, but how do you want this conversation to feel completed? So then you can kind of visualise a pathway through. It's also really important to, and we touched on this earlier, to really centre yourself in the conversation to be present and to know what you need in the conversation rather than what we tend to do as women and mothers, you know, let everybody else or please everybody else and make sure everybody else is okay. In a a hard conversation, it's vital that you centre yourself and make sure that you're taking care care of and tending yourself. Um, Also preparation-wise, know what your triggers are and know how you respond when you tip into a fight, flight or an activated space or state so that you can almost preempt that. So know what it feels like at the beginning to tip into fight, flight, freeze, fawn or activation so that you can recognise it and dial it down before you blow up into a fully, you know, hit into a full fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. I love that you talk about the different stages because I have often spoken about, you know, when it comes to navigating the toddler years, like how to actually respond to a toddler meltdown. And I've spoken about how important it is to actually have a plan in your mind. You know, like when we're working in an office, when we are in any job, like other than working from home, and I probably should do this, but when you're out in the workforce, you have fire drills, right? so that you know what to do when the fire alarm goes off. And I always encourage parents to think about that when it comes to responding to their toddlers. You've got to have a plan in your mind. You've got to have gone through that plan. How's it going to unfold? What can I do? And I just love the advice that you just shared about going, okay, how do you feel when you're triggered? Like what is your tell and what are you going to do when that tell washes over you? Mm. Because if we... If we don't know how to recognise it in the early stages, it can really blow up and impact our capacity to hold space for ourselves, hold space for the other person in the conversation, and it's going to derail the complete conversation. Um, And you're not going to get to a completion because you're not going to move through those phases. So preparation and knowing your own activation and your triggers and then having those strategies is really crucial. I imagine a lot of people keep stuff inside. You know, they think, oh, I want to have this hard conversation, but I don't want to face it. I don't want to face it. I don't don't want to face it. And then one day they just kind of reach boiling point and they're like, wah, and it's like it's out there and you can't put it back in once it's out. 
So I really like this advice to actually slow down and get clear on what is the thing that you want to feel at the end of this? What's the resolution? How do you want to feel then? And also being prepared to go into this and knowing, okay, if the wheel starts to come off, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Yep. And the wheels probably will start to come off. The only thing you can control is the way you the way you behave, the way you engage. Um, you can't control the other person. You also can't um, you can't predict how they will respond. Another key component to preparation is going in with leading with curiosity and compassion. And I think almost an appreciation or, a, or an expectation that this other person, particularly if it is your life partner, your intimate partner, this other person is on your side. They are on the same team. And if you go in with the expectation that they too want to move through the tension and come to a completion, come to a resolution, then the, the conversation has more chance of going down a kind, compassionate pathway and reaching a resolution. But if you go in expecting a fight or you go in really defensive or aggressively, it's going to derail very, very quickly. In terms of telling someone that you want to have a conversation with them, do you recommend people do the ominous, we need to talk, can we schedule in a time to have a chat, that kind of thing? Or I, I, I struggle to know. I'm like, is it better to kind of forewarn someone or is that worse? I think it really depends on the content and the topic. If it is a really big topic, then yeah, I do. I do think so. Because you need to allow that other person some time to prep. You know, you've had the time to think about it. You've had the time to prepare yourself to think about what activates you, what triggers you, how you're going to move into the conversation so and how you're going to open it, even how you would like it to flow and be completed. They have not had that same opportunity. So I think it is important if it's a really big topic and it's, depends how I guess it depends on, on the in, individual circumstance how you open that um, I really dislike that hey we need to talk um, and I tend to offer or work through with clients other alternatives like um, you know this is coming up for me I'm wondering if it's coming up for you um, when would be a good time to talk about it that kind of opening um, because it invites them to step in rather than you taking a powerful position of, I have this problem, we need to talk about it. So it's more an, an open invitation to step in together. And what about if it's a difficult conversation with, say, a family member like a mother-in-law or a sister-in-law or someone like that where you're not quite sure it's going to be super well-received and you don't know how it's going to go down, would you advise your clients to kind of take the same approach there? Often, yes, and not always. Sometimes you just need to have those conversations when the opportunity arises. Um, you can also, in the conversation, if, if you haven't pre-warned the person, haven't pre-warned your mother-in-law or your sister-in-law that you're about to launch into a conversation, you can also offer them an opportunity to step out. So if this is not a good time to continue this conversation, can we revisit it? If you do that, you need to get a firm commitment about when you're going to revisit. You've been really brave and broached this difficult topic with somebody who's perhaps been difficult to deal with or you've got an issue with whatever. You don't want to lose the momentum by allowing it just to slip away. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, something I learned probably a little bit too late in life was how important it is as well to use the I statements and the I language and to also not speak in absolutes. I think it's very common for people to go into hard conversations with the whole, you always do X, Y, Z, you always make me feel blah, blah, blah. And understanding that when you start to do that, people stop listening to you and they start scanning their brain for all of the times that that's not correct was such a game changer for me. I was like, oh, I'm literally like shooting myself in the foot by doing that. Yeah. I think there's definite place for we statements, but, and I statements and, and in different circumstances, each will work. So the I statements are really important, as you said, like, and the, and absolute ditching the absolute language is very important. But if you, if you're opening a conversation with someone in terms of, you know, we have, a, we have a problem or we have been navigating this or we have been experiencing this in our relationship, I think you can use a we statement then. But when it's pointing out, you know, you're, you always do or I always feel or you make me, I agree. Flick it back. What are some of the most common challenges you have clients face when it comes to really hard conversations? Well, the really obvious one is I want a divorce. Um, that's you know, that's the really obvious one in my work. I think ongoing, they're often around parenting and parallel parenting and co-parenting. Um, and if someone is wanting to have that conversation about exiting a relationship, how do you help people work that out? Like, what do you suggest they do? How do I help them work out whether they want to exit or negotiating, navigating the conversation? Well, I was thinking more about how do they work out how to have that conversation, such as do they do it at home? Do they do it somewhere else? Do you need a third party present? All of those things. But mm. I also know that there will be people listening who are like, yes, Sally Ann, tell me, how do I work out whether I stay or go? And I know that that is your niche. I know that's one of your areas that you specialize in. So lay it both on me if you can. Okay, making the decision is, you know, it's not, it's never going to be black and white. And I think understanding that there's no one right answer is is key, you know. And, of course, let's qualify here that we're not talking about abusive relationships. We're just talking about unhappy, dysfunctional relationships that have maybe run their course or you just want to change, you know you, need, you know, you need to change something, you're not sure. Um, so understanding that there's and accepting that there's no one right answer, there's no one right way through and that there will be shades of grey and that you probably will question that, rela- that decision, whatever you choose, um, and giving yourself the time and grace to do it kindly and with self-compassion. Uh, in terms of having the conversation, it's it's not, a, you know, I can't give you a, a cheat sheet that's going to work for everybody. Um, generally, I lead clients through, if it's, if it's going to be a relatively amicable split, 
I lead them through having a series of conversations um, rather than it being this one big blow up. Um, oftentimes in that sort of situation, one, one person in the marriage or the relationship is ahead of the other. They're already one step out and you need to offer that other person who you've built a life with, perhaps had children with, you know, had spent many years with, you need to offer them the opportunity to catch up with you. So just walking in, dumping it on the table and saying, I'm done, I'm out, without having those preemptive conversations can actually be really damaging. I imagine you can apply some of this advice as well to the difficult conversation series that you might have with your children as well if you're chatting with your kids about mum and dad separating or mum and mum or dad and dad. Yeah, and of course that's going to be age and stage appropriate. The conversation you have with, you know, preschoolers or primary school age children is different to the one you're going to have with teenagers or even adult kids. You know, we're seeing a fair bit of grey divorce and, you know, if you've got adult kids, you still need to have a hard conversation. So, yeah, I think with younger children especially, a stage or a series of conversations is important. Um, with really young children, I often lead clients to talk to them about, you know, teamwork and friendships rather than have the, you know, mummy and daddy don't love each other anymore because that, of course, invites all sorts of questions for the children about, well, are you going to stop loving me? So, making sure that you're opening conversations age and stage appropriately and just leading them gently through can be helpful. It, it can't always be possible if one partner, one partner, I'm sorry, does come home and just say, I'm done, I'm out, I'm having an affair, I'm leaving, whatever, and they leave, then you've actually got to have that conversation with the children almost immediately. Um, if you can do it with the kids together, and you have a shared narrative that you agree on that this is the story, not the story, but this is the truth that we're going to tell them and this is what they need to know and this is what they don't need to know, then that can be really supportive for, for you as a family moving forward too. What about some other styles of hard conversation, sally Ann? like say in terms of female friendship, something that I receive a lot of messages about is how do I break up with a friend or how do I start to put distance between myself and a female friend? When it comes to difficult conversations with a, you know, a girlfriend, what advice would you give there? I would really give the same advice, you know, prepare, open gently and softly. Um, we talk about a soft startup, so don't go in guns blazing. Open with, you know, a gentle invitation. Hey, can we meet for a coffee? There's some things I'd really like to talk with you about. Um, be mindful that the other person might not be on the same page as you. Um, also, you know, think about, as we said earlier, how do you want the completion to this conversation to look and feel for you and also for them? You know, is it a hard and fast, no, we are done, the friendship is over? And if that's the case, that's a really, that can be really brutal for the other person. So, leading with kindness, compassion, even curiosity, you know, asking them some questions. I, I've been feeling X, Y and Z about this friendship. What do you think? How do you feel? So inviting them to step into the conversation and be a part of it and create a solution and resolution that feels good for both of you, which maybe it's not going to feel good, but it feels okay for both of you. 
Curiosity is such an underrated skill set, I think, when it comes to communication. I definitely use it with my kids, especially, you know, if you want to have that soft start in conversation with kids, I will often say, I'm just wondering, or hmm, I'm thinking about, and kind of invite them to join me on that curiosity rather than present them with a completely different perspective or perception, just gently you know, meandering around and going, hmm, maybe we could look at it from this way. Yeah, and you can do that with any hard conversation, be it with a child or an adult. Um, yeah, I do like that. Hmm, I'm just wondering. But, yeah, opening with curiosity invites them to step into the conversation rather than feeling railroaded by you. Um, and an open, curious invitation is much more emotionally safe for the other person. They're less likely to tip into defence so you're more likely to get the outcome, the completion that you're seeking. For people who really struggle to speak up and, you know, verbalise their needs and have these challenging conversations, do you have any suggestions for people to, I guess, implement in their everyday life? I know recently in an episode I was talking about how important it is just to start with small stuff like if my partner says to me, what do you want for lunch? And I do know what I want for lunch, but I also kind of can't be fucked having the conversation. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I notice that that's just me minimizing myself again and making myself small and invisible. So something I'm trying to do is like, no, this is actually what I want for lunch. This is where I want to go for coffee. This is what I want to do in those smaller ways and how that really does, I guess, go towards strengthening that skill set and that inner knowledge and that safety of speaking up? I do very much the same in my work um, and encourage clients who struggle to access their voice or speak speak up or, or verbalise their needs, do it in places and spaces that aren't high, that aren't high stakes. If the barista messes up your coffee order... Don't just take it with a smile and walk out, ditch it in the bin and go around to the next cafe. Just kindly, compassionately say, that's actually not what I ordered. Would you please make me X, Y, Z? Um, so try and, yeah, flexing flexing your, um, I guess it's flexing your conflict muscles or flexing those muscles to speak up and ask for what you want, have the hard conversations. Start where it doesn't really matter. Because if you don't, if you feel uncomfortable having that conversation with the barista or with the um, cafe staff member, you don't ever have to go back into that cafe again. You can just go around the corner. So you don't have to step back into relationship with that particular person. So choosing areas, spaces, conversations that aren't high stakes for you and working out how to do it and that, yes, it is actually emotionally safe for me to do this. Nothing bad happened. Maybe they got grumpy at me, but that's okay. I got my coffee. I'm glad you brought up the term emotionally safe because for a lot of people, it is a really very real experience of feeling physiologically and emotionally distressed at the thought of articulating what it is they need and want or they deserve. It's really a very real thing for a lot of people who have grown up and been told be quiet, be good, be compliant, be needless. So to actually open your mouth and say, oh, this isn't the coffee I ordered can be very scary for some people. It can be absolutely terrifying. Um, and 
when you when you need to do it in a in a situation or in a relationship that is ongoing with a partner, with a mother-in-law, with a friend, then the stakes are so much higher and the terror is so much greater. So practicing in lower stakes environments is is can be really helpful. Um, also knowing how to create emotional safety for yourself. When you're opening a hard conversation, it's important to create emotional safety for the other person, but it's also important to be able to create and hold emotional safety for yourself. So what does it feel like? And again, that goes back to knowing what it feels like in your body when you start to feel unsafe and how you can dial that back down. You know, is it a mantra that's saying, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe, whatever works for you, you know, building in practices through your day that enable you to build that capacity for yourself will then help you in those hard conversations or telling the barista that they've mucked up your coffee order. I think there's often a real disconnect between those little things and the big things. It's like when someone says to you, oh, go and journal on it and you go, oh, it's the last thing I want to do. But it's like, no, no, there's real wisdom in that. Like there's real wisdom in that tiny little moment where you do journal and you do go inwards And that is one of the stepping stones to get you to that place that you want to be where you do know what gives you emotional safety. I know I um, used to have a screensaver on my phone and I had it on there for years, Sally-Ann, and it just said, how do I feel? What do I need? So that when I picked up my phone, rather than my thumb automatically going to social media for a validation hit or to the inbox for a distraction, it was just that moment of pause of going, how do I actually feel? And what do I actually need? And sometimes it's like, well, I probably need a glass of water or, you know, I need to go and give the boys a cuddle or I need to reach out and talk to someone. And it's actually just those little invitations that we can give to ourselves throughout the day that will help us to stop feeling so invisible and needless. Absolutely. How do I, I love it. How do I feel? What do I need? I also often think, how can I show up here without my judgment? how can I leave my assumptions at the door? So that particularly related to interacting with other humans. Um, And, you know, I'm not always great at it. I will show up with judgment. I will show up with a bag full of assumptions stepping into an engagement. I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What can I let go of here? So as well as how do I feel, what do I need? What can I leave? What can I let go of? What can I put down so that I can be mindful, present for myself, create emotional safety for myself and step into an interaction with another human, be it my kid, my partner, and be mindful without all of that stuff coming in to the relationship, into the conversation. I know you work one-on-one with clients and you've also got a podcast. You're also using Instagram where would you like our listeners to connect with you? Instagram's probably the best place to connect with me. I share a lot there, including about my podcast, um, tips and strategies and all things relationships and divorce. And people can find you by searching Reflect Coaching, can't they? They can, or even my name, Sally Ann Hartnell. I'm pretty Perfect. easy to find. I'll make sure we have all of those details in the show notes. Sally Ann, thank you so much for chatting with me about difficult conversations. Thanks for having me, Kylie. It's been great. 
Before you run off, I just wanted to mention that over on Sunroom, you're going to find exclusive content that will be seen nowhere but Sunroom. And the reason for this is Sunroom is a safe platform. Things can't be screenshotted, they can't be shared or taken out of context, really. Sunroom is the inner circle and I am over there sharing workouts, reflections, honest, truly raw thoughts and feelings, instant reactions to certain things that are going on in my life and so much more. Over there, you can also organize your own custom experience. If you've ever wanted to book a mentoring session with yours truly to perhaps take your idea for your own podcast and start creating, maybe you have a podcast already, but you really want to learn some of the tricks of the trade when it comes to monetizing, streamlining, pitching to guests, or just creating a stronger podcast in general. I'm the first person to say I am not a business strategist, but I certainly am someone who loves the podcasting space. And with over 400 episodes under my belt, I will happily help you to learn from the mistakes I've made in the past and to cut out some of those tricky lessons and to just benefit from that experience. I love talking about podcasting and personal branding. So if you want to book a session with me, you can do that through Sunroom as well. You can also receive personalized voice notes and advice and so much more over there. Link is in the show notes. So come on over, join the inner circle and the circle is small. So the messages are getting answered quickly and I am available to you over through the Sunroom app. Link is in the bio. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 